The Difficulty of Deciding to Leave a Marriage on episode number 63 of Divorce Happy Hour. Everybody, you are watching Divorce Happy Hour. I'm your host, Christina Previtt of New Jersey Divorce Solutions. And joining me today is Nancy Berger, fear strategist, to talk about deciding to leave. So, Nancy, if you could, can you just tell us a little bit about you and what exactly is a fear strategist? Yeah, that's a good question. And I get that a lot. Um, so, my work is in helping people change their relationship with fear. And um, that can sound a little fluffy, like, well, how do I do that? So I really do, I've cultivated strategies and a skill set, a skill bucket that I teach people ways that they can, you know, pivot their thoughts around fear, change their mindset, understand it better so that it can help them and inform them um, rather than be something that they should avoid and ignore and try to just crawl over the top of, because I don't think that works. And why is this so important? You know, some people might not appreciate that fear holds us back. So can you just give some more insight into that? Why is it important? Yeah, it's important. It's crucial, really, because what we're afraid of is we fear things because we're trying to make sense of our world. So when we have fears, they are deeply embedded in our psyche, be it from first family modeling or past relationships, learned behaviors. So if we can unpack them and understand them, then that gives us valuable, invaluable information that from which we can you know, move forward and build a better path for ourselves. So you know, being fearless really doesn't exist. What that really means is we ignore the fears and just do the thing. Um, and there's nobility in that, of course, but I just think that we're much better, we're much better served by deconstructing the fears, understanding where they come from, and then using that information really as an ally to, to move us forward. So how do you know when fear is really legitimate? Like, let's say, you know, fear tells you not to run into a fire right? Or, you know, run into traffic. Mm -hmm. But then there's other times when fear is almost like an illusion, when it's counterproductive and it's holding you back from doing something that really is good for you, something that you need to do. So other than the very obvious examples that I gave, how, how do you help people to understand the difference? You know, how do we know when this is a good thing that I should be moving towards? Or there's a legitimate reason for the fear. Yeah, that's. A, I'm so glad you asked that question because that's a really sort of a scientific, um, a science-based answer that I'm going to give you. And I'm not going to get in the weeds too much, but I have spent over a decade kind of understanding how the brain processes fear, how it manifests in our cognitive, you know, behaviors and our actions. Um, so walking into fire, a spider on the wall. Ooh, I can't even think about that. Uh, flying in an airplane, these are things, these are fears that are amygdala based fears. So they're in this part of the brain. They're not logic based fears, which are in this part of the brain. So the amygdala is the fight or flight on either side of your spine, little almond shaped organs. And the cortex, the cerebral cortex is where we, we reason and, and logically live our lives. And those are the fears that I help people 
deconstruct and understand because we sort of get into a feedback loop sometimes between the amygdala and the cortex. And I'm not going to get too much more into that, but there's science backing this up. So when you're trying to reason through something, very often if you're afraid or you're feeling hesitant or awkward, you sort of talk yourself into this, I can't do it or I don't, I, I don't want to do it but you can break it down and understand where that comes from. The amygdala is really how we've evolved as humans and we're not gonna walk into fire or go to the rustling bush or you know, go to the tiger. We're gonna get yeah. away from it. Yeah, so, so that's a very important distinction. Yeah, so now we don't have, literally have tigers chasing them, just proverbial tigers. So what I wanted to talk about specifically with you today, obviously, because I am the owner of a divorce law firm and something that I encounter a lot with my clients is people that are making the excruciating decision of leaving their spouse and leaving their marriage. And it really is my one of my favorite topics to talk about because I don't quite comprehend what I see happen frequently is I'll have somebody come in, talk about their marriage, talk about how unhappy they are, you know, give examples of why they're so unhappy. But then at the end of the meeting, you assume they're ready to move forward, but oftentimes they're not. And the reason is always, I'm not really sure. I just don't know if, if it's, you know, I want to leave. And there's so many reasons that they give for having to think about it. Yeah. Um, you know, a few of the big ones are often are, well, I don't know if I've done everything that I could do to save marriage. That's a really big one that I hear all the time. And I always wonder, well, how, what do you need? Right? Like when, when will your pain in that relationship or the disrespect that you're getting, or even if it's just, unhappiness in the relationship, right? It's not necessarily that the other spouse has to have done something wrong, but you're not happy and it's not going to change. So um, that's just one example. Yeah. We don't have enough time to go over all of the right. examples. Right. But, and I think you've heard them before. And for people who are watching, if you're someone who's thinking about getting a divorce, you know very well that if you have doubts, you know what you're telling yourself. You know, I have to stay for the kids or I'm not going to have enough money or, you know, I'm going to just wait till the kids graduate from high school, or whatever. There's a million excuses. Can you break that down for us? Yeah, that's uh, and, and you're right. We don't have enough time to go through all the excuses or reasons that, you know, we might tell ourselves. And I think it's important to note that I, I ended a marriage after 27 years. So these are not uh, topics that are not, you know, into, I'm not intimately familiar with. But um, yes. So the, the short answer uh, for for our audience today is that this decision requires clarity. And when I talk about clarity, I mean being able to strip away the noise and get to the root of the issue. And there are strategies to do that. And I think what happens often, and I'm speaking primarily about women now because this is who I really work with. Um, the, the issue comes down to all this noise in their head about what ifs or all the stigmas attached to divorce for women. And this is not my 
conjecture. This is science. So a 2016 study showed that many women feel devalued in the divorce process. So that speaks to the noise. So we can get clarity by doing a couple of, of things. And these are, these are strategies I teach. The first of which is a fear versus want. So let me explain. I teach people to take their fears and sometimes actually write them on index cards. And on the flip side of the card, write the want. So if you have a fear, say, well, what uh, about my children? What's it going to do to them? And that's a really common one. What's on the mm -hmm. other side of that? Do you want your children to witness a dysfunctional or devolving relationship, a marriage relationship? Do you want your children to witness a strong relationship and see their parents as humans that are navigating through life? So I go through this and it's kind of a tedious exercise, but it gives people clarity. What do I want? What is my intention for my life? Another one is, well, I've been married for so long. You know, what else? What, how would I manage without being in this relationship, even if it's not good? Well, how do you want to live your life? What's your intention? Even married for almost 30 years, I have another couple, three decades, hopefully, to live. How do you want to live the rest of your life? And I find that when I can get people to pivot, and get into that intention purposeful mindset they do get clarity around what so you know okay i'm afraid to do these things but what is the other side of that look like and often i you can get there by by doing that exercise um and i just want to say that like you know the the worrying about money or the worrying about uh, my friendships or the worrying about what people are going to think. These are, you know, these are things that really can be deconstructed, but it takes a little bit of time and self-reflection. And, and I think sometimes probably when people come into your office, they haven't done that work and they don't even know how to do it. So they just get really overwhelmed and then say, forget it. I'm not ready. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I always say I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage because when people come in to talk to me, I'm, I'm in a very specific box. I'm the lawyer. They're looking for some specific legal advice, but I find oftentimes that I almost have to coach them before we even get any to any of the legal stuff. Because if you haven't really made a decision that you want to end the marriage, it doesn't really even matter what I tell you. Right. It doesn't matter what legal advice I give you. So you actually have to do that inner work and that mind work on yourself. And they don't know how. A lot of people don't know how. They don't even know where yeah. to start. And, and because they're thoughts and feelings, they kind of think that they're not, I don't know, worthy of like attention because they're our choice. But that's exactly what they're worthy of because it gives you a lot of under, you know clear understanding of kind of how you're showing up in the world. And by the way, I, I know you know this, but it's worth saying we all co-create our relationships. If a marriage is falling apart, it's not one person's fault ever. Everybody co-creates the relationship. If that doesn't mean that there's some marriages where one spouse is not, you know, horrifying, yeah. but the other person stays there for some reason that maybe they don't understand. And that's worth taking a look at because that can get in the way of, you know, you're moving forward into a more courageous life for sure. Absolutely. If you're staying, even though you're unhappy, it's because there's something about that arrangement yeah. that is serving you. Exactly. And it could be something really unhealthy. Yes. 
yeah, like money. Like yeah. I don't want to give up the stuff. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's not something people are often proud to admit, but there's reasons for it. So that's what I mean. If you can understand, it might go back to how you were, you're imprinting on money, how you were taught. It might go back to the value system from your first family or from early, you know, romantic relationships or, you know, the, the sky's the limit. There's so many possibilities, but it's worth taking a look at because that gives you really valuable information. I did these things for myself. So I know. And it sometimes it was really a cathartic experience. Like, wow, I didn't even think about that. I mean, I had support system therapists. I've talked to a lot of people before I made that decision. It was not easy. But I had some moments where it's like, I didn't know that I kind of thought that about myself or believed that. And these are sort of value systems that we have to really get into. Yeah, it's funny. I just listened to a podcast this morning about cognitive dissonance. Yeah. And the only way that I can explain it, not being a psychologist or an expert, is basically that we make these excuses in our heads to kind of justify the things that we do or the things that we believe because they kind of don't make sense. But we want them to make sense and we want them to be, you know, favorable to us. So we make these excuses. And, you know, I think oftentimes the person that's saying, well, I'm staying for the kids because my kids will be destroyed if we get divorced and it'll be better if they're in college when we get divorced or uh, and these are very common ones. The, the person who says, well, I have to stay because I don't have any money. I, I've been a stay-at-home mom for years. I couldn't possibly support myself. I'm totally dependent on this marriage. So I can't leave. And, you know, though, if you're telling yourself that, I know that you absolutely believe it. You're probably saying, Christina, Nancy, with all due respect, you don't know what you're talking about. But I think if you dig a little bit, you will find that it's not true. Right. They're, your kids will be fine. I always tell people, you know, what I'd like to hear more often is I'm leaving for the kids. Not, I'm staying for the kids. Thank you. Because yeah, I really want to speak to that because, I, you know, I have children. I, I, it's not a fun thing. To, it's not a fun message to deliver to your children. But I will tell you that. You know, waiting to your example, waiting until the kids go to college, as if when the kids go to college, they're no longer going to be affected by this decision. On the contrary, many might say, reflective, reflecting, say, mom and dad, you mean this was a farce for all that time? Like, what message is that? What are you sending? You know, what are you modeling for your kids with that message? And the second thing is they're launching and trying to transition into you know, young adulthood and becoming independent. And they're going to have to deal with this on top of that. Like going to college doesn't mean that they, you know, all of a sudden don't under, don't hear anything or feel anything. So it is just not a, doesn't have a firm foundation, that kind of reasoning. And the other thing is the money thing. So I've been a stay at home mom. I've been a, right. That's what alimony is for. That, 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 that's the whole idea. So, you know, you're half of a partnership and you did your thing to support it. That's what Alan, so I, I think that these are, as you say, they're just based in these, these suppositions and cognitive biases, which people definitely have thoughts and then they look around for evidence to support those thoughts. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I always tell people too, you wanna be really concerned, which is something you said already. What kind of relationship are you modeling for your children? 
Yeah. Because you know how when kids are really little, they really literally mimic everything you do. Yeah. You know, like you'll see a little girl, you know, dress up and carry a purse around. She doesn't need a purse. You know, she's seen mom doing it and she's seen girls doing it. She wants to mimic that behavior. I firmly believe that we do that, you know, even in high school, maybe even as adults, we see other people doing things and we think, oh. I want to do that, or I'm going to do that. That's how you're supposed to do it. And I really believe that even if you have high school kids at home, they're seeing the relationship and that's what they're, they think is normal. Yes. And they will do that. They will conduct the relationships that way, unless they know differently. That's what, that's their imprinting. Well, you know, we talk about imprinting that's theirs. And I, you know, look, telling your children that you're going to get a divorce Stinks. There is nothing fun about it. And more often than not, you get a knee jerk, like first reaction that is really not positive. Okay. They're not going to say, wow, good for you, you know, but, and that's true. And I'm not trying to be dismissive of that because I experienced it and it's not fun. Having said that, uh, I, in, in my experience and in others' experiences that you know, women that have shared with me, that over time, if it's done the right way, if you proceed with kindness and respect and compassion, you don't throw your former spouse under the bus, you don't trash, you don't, you don't do the things you're not supposed to do in a divorce, you know, process. The children start, they're very adaptable. And young adults and you know, tween young people are cognitively wired to care about themselves. This is not, yeah. not a personality flaw. This is where they are in their development. So they're worried about how it's gonna affect them. And that's yeah. understandable, so work with them on that. But they're not really thinking about, you know, the integrity of your marriage relationship. They're in a different headspace entirely. Yes, yes. And I, I often say too that kids don't need married parents. They need happy parents. And good parents, strong parents, yeah. parents who do their job. Yes. And I living together in the house, miserable. They see that. I mean, how often have you heard a story where someone says, oh, thank God you're getting divorced. You know, you're it's it's a toxic environment for everyone. Right. There's an unhappy marriage. Yes. It's a toxic environment. And, and, and you know this and I will just say it because it's worth saying that how you run your divorce is as important as how you run your marriage, right? So in a divorce, it is essential that parents don't weaponize, you know, the, the process with the children, no matter how old they are. Um, you know, respect, even if you're angry, mad, not mean, you can be angry, but don't be mean. Don't involve them in it. Don't trash talk the other one to the children. No good comes of it ever. Yeah, I, I've seen so many situations where a client of mine or the other parent in the case really ruins their, their own relationship with their child exactly. by doing that. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it's really painful to watch. It's, it is. It's And it's destructive. So... Um, what, what, I mean, saying all of this, you know, it's easy for us as outsiders, although I, you went through this, your own experience, how aware were you at the time? Cause it's easy for us to say this stuff, but when you're actually embroiled in it, it can be hard to see that. Yes, that is true. And uh, the way that I navigated through it was I was, I made sure I had a support system in place to, um, to, to help me navigate I had a really good therapist. 
I had a, uh, I went through a cut, you know, started with a mediator and that just didn't work. Even if you think you want it to work, <laughs> oftentimes it doesn't. Sometimes it does. For me, it didn't because once money discussions got involved, it got a little prickly. So I ended up spending twice as much because I then hired an attorney, but I was very careful about the attorney that I hired and I talked to several and then went back to my therapist and talked to her. And then, you know, I had a lot of people trusted guide guiders, I would say advisors, right? So I didn't just sort of impulsively do anything. And I kept my kids out of it. I just said, it's going to be okay. You know, they were in their, they were not 18 and, and 19, 18 and 20. It's going to be okay. We're going to move through this and everything's going to be fine. Your dad and I care about each other. Whatever. And then I went to my support system and asked them these questions. So I did this very judiciously. I did this very carefully. It took two years but I, you know, made sure I asked the questions to the people that I could ask openly and get, you know, good guidance from. I think that's important. I'm not sure a lot of people do that. They might not know where to start. But um, I think that you and I have had discussions about this, Christina. But, you know, some attorneys do, you know, sort of, you know, uh, partner up with, you know, a, a marriage and family counselor or some sort of therapist that can provide that kind of support to someone who's grappling with these decisions and this process. Yeah, it's a lot. I highly recommend that people have a therapist or a coach, you know, maybe somebody like you yeah. to help them because lawyers have a very specific area of expertise, right? Yeah. I can tell you the finances of your situation, what alimony should be, what alimony uh, child support should be, you know, how property should be divided and, you know, things of that nature. And because I am very invested in personal development, I, I can coach my clients to some degree, mm -hmm. but I'm not a coach and I'm not a therapist. So I've always said that, you know, 90% of a divorce really is all about the emotion and the other 10% is about the, the dollars and cents. Yeah. So don't expect your lawyer to do that for you. you well, know? And it's expensive. I mean, you know, let's be mm -hmm. transparent. That's a pretty pricey, you know, job to tack on to what your lawyer is already doing for you. And, you know, like in my experience, my attorney was just an excellent attorney and he represented me very well, but he wasn't in that headspace to talk to me about what what this decision is going to, you know, what the repercussions of this decision will be for me emotionally, for my children emotionally. Like he stuck to the law and how he could best represent me and do the best job to protect me. And I appreciated that. But for what I was paying him, I wasn't going to be on the phone asking him his opinion on these other things, which are really, as you say, coaching or, you know, and I'm not a therapist either, but, you know, either for a therapist or for a coach, for some sort of advisor that can help you kind of you know, okay, let's break it down and see what, what are the pros and cons? Like, for instance, one of the things that I do with clients is I will do this then what exercise. Because often women that are on the cusp and trying to figure out whether or not they want to get a divorce and make this gargantuan decision, go to what if scenarios. What if this, what if that, what if that? And that's survival. That's our brain going into survival mode. I'm going to just sit here stuck like a squirrel because the hawk's there, and if it doesn't see me move, it might not move down. Mm -hmm. But that's all really amygdala, like fight or flight stuff. And you don't have options there. Your brain can't be flexible. 
Then what? And I, you know, we actually write them down, work through it. Then what gives you options? You have cognitive flexibility. It's an empowering exercise. And when we can get women to feel empowered and have some neuroplasticity, some flexibility up there, you can get clarity. And then you can make better decisions rather than the squirrel kind of mindset, which is just doesn't get you anywhere. So I think you just answered the question. My question, next question was going to be, well, how do you kind of turn, turn off your amygdala? I know you can't turn it off, but how right. do you kind of let the amygdala kind of go off to, on the side and, you know, your, I guess your cognitive brain, your yeah. intellectual brain. Yeah. This part of the cortex where you use your logic and reasoning. And that's, that's one of the ways we do it is exercises where we make lists, we write things down. I mean, you know, maybe because I've been a writer for 25 years, and I think that's kind of where the Venns intersected. Been a writer for so long. I understand the power of words. I understand how you can pivot thoughts, but you have to do the work to understand what thought you're trying to pivot. And this then what stuff is like, you can go down a rabbit hole sometimes like, well, then what? Well, the, this happens. Then what? Then my kids hate me. Then what? Then I'm destitute living in a refrigerator box. Like, yes. When you do the work, it becomes clear that, no, that's not really going to happen. You know? No. Yeah. You, you have, have to ask yourself, but is that true? Right. Is that really true? No. So I know we're talking specifically about people who are deciding to leave a, a relationship, but do you do this kind of coaching for people in other situations too? Absolutely. So my work really revolves, uh, runs the gamut, you know, relationships, parenting is a big one because there's a lot of fear-based thinking in parenting, you know, creativity. Um, I'm a musician and a songwriter. And so I talk to people who are kind of wanting to explore different parts of their creative life, but they don't know how to do it. Money. I'm a financial blogger also. So money's a big wow. thing. And a lot of fear around money um, and, and work dynamics, work relationships. So I talk to, you know, companies and groups about how they can navigate, you know, difficult conversations or, you know, creating a culture that's less fear based and more, you know, transparent. So it runs the gamut, um, but it all comes back to reframing fear based thinking. And it, it applies to pretty much, you know, all areas of life, really. Well, I think if you're a human being, you probably have fear-based thinking at some point, maybe people, some people more than others. Uh, but as human beings, I think we all have that. So tell us how people who are watching can find you if they're interested in finding out more about your book or working with you. Sure. Well, you can find me. Uh, my website is uh, nancyrberger.com, spelled B-U-R-G-E-R, nancyrberger.com. And you can find me there, email me. I have, I have a, a fear survey that I'm doing. You can participate in that um, and contact me through there. Or you can email me directly at explore at nancyrberger.com. And I will respond uh, quickly. But um, either one of those, and I'm on social media, you can follow me there and get the links on my website. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I think this was a lot of really good advice for me <laughs> when I have fear about different things yeah. and for our audience. Would Thanks love for to having me, Christina. It was a pleasure. Great. Thank you. And thank you for watching Divorce Happy Hour. <laughs>